Which disease has been around for nearly 3 million years and is also known as consumption due to its associated severe weight loss? The answer to these questions is tuberculosis, or TB. It is an infectious disease caused by the bacterium called Mycobacterium tuberculosis. While the bacteria usually attacks the lungs, virtually any part of the body can be affected, earning it the title, The Great Imitator. Today, our patient has tuberculosis, and you are the doctor. Welcome to The Internet Work, a podcast written by medical residents, meant to serve you better on the wards and on call. Today's episode is titled, Conquering Consumption, an Approach to Tuberculosis. Time for a minute physiology. Mycobacterium tuberculosis and other mycobacteria are characterized by a large amount of mycolic acid on their cell membrane, which is thought to help with immune evasion and antibiotic resistance. The mycolic acid is also what allows mycobacteria to be undetectable by gram stain, hence the need for other staining techniques that allow for detection of these acid-fast bacilli, AFB. Unlike typical bacteria, Mycobacterium tuberculosis has a much slower growth rate, with cultures taking up to seven years for detectable growth, meaning final negative culture reports will not be available until approximately two months post-inoculation. TB is primarily transmitted from person to person through airborne particles. Imagine that an infectious person coughs or sneezes, and a susceptible person inhales the bacteria into their lungs. The bacteria travel down the airways and reach the alveoli, where they encounter alveolar macrophages. This leads to one of four possible outcomes. First, the bacteria is immediately eliminated by the host innate immune system, and the person does not become infected. Second, the alveolar macrophages engulf the bacteria, but are able to eliminate them entirely. The immune system then walls off the bacteria through the formation of granulomas, clumps of immune cells with a necrotic center containing live bacteria. This is known as latent TB, or TB infection, where patients have dormant bacteria in their body but show no symptoms and cannot transmit TB. Third, in approximately 5-10% to of patients with latent TB infection, the bacteria will overcome the contaminant defenses, granuloma, created by the immune system and begin to multiply, spreading through the lungs and potentially other parts of the body to cause active TB disease. Due to the time lapse between inoculation and development of illness, often years, this is known as reactivation TB disease. Fourth, the immune system is unable to clear nor contain the bacteria following the initial infection, and the patient develops primary TB disease soon after the exposure. All right, so now that we've talked about the basic pathophysiology, let's talk about the approach. It is helpful to think about TB infection and TB disease as having separate risk factors. Risk factors for acquiring infection include birth or residence in a TB endemic country, living on a reserve or in congregate settings, for example, shelters or correctional facilities, and close contact with a known case of active pulmonary TB. A good social history is therefore key to assessing your patient's risk of latent TB. 
What about risk factors for developing TB disease? The majority of active TB cases in adults are from reactivation or the progression of latent infection to active disease. The main risk factor is immunosuppression from a variety of conditions including, but not limited to, HIV, chronic kidney disease, diabetes, hematologic malignancy, corticosteroid or TNF-alpha inhibitor use, aging, and cigarette smoking. The risk of reactivation TB is also highest in the first two to five years following initial infection. All pulmonary TB disease is infectious, although to varying degrees dependent upon the bacterial load of the patient. If you believe that the patient may have active pulmonary TB, assessment should be undertaken under airborne precautions with the healthcare worker using an N95 mask. Your first step in any patient encounter is to determine whether or not your patient is stable. Assess their airway, breathing, and circulation. What are their vitals and GCS? As mentioned earlier, patients with active TB disease may have respiratory and multi-organ involvement and therefore be unstable at presentation. Once you have stabilized your patient, you can move on with your assessment. On history, ask about symptoms of TB disease. Pulmonary TB is the most common, and you should ask about chronic cough lasting more than three to four weeks, sputum production, hemoptysis, shortness of breath, and chest pain. You should also ask about constitutional symptoms such as fatigue, malaise, fevers, night sweats, weight loss, and anorexia. TB can be extrapulmonary, affecting virtually any part of the body from head to toe, including the lymph nodes, meninges, bone and joints, pleura, abdominal organs, pericardium, and urogenital tract. Thus, a thorough review of systems is needed. You also want to inquire about past medical history and social history for risk factors of TB infection or TB disease, as discussed earlier. In a high-risk patient, any unexplained illness, including respiratory symptoms for greater than three to four weeks, or a diagnosis of community-acquired pneumonia without improvement after seven days of treatment should raise your clinical suspicion. Keep in mind that no particular symptom is sensitive nor specific for TB disease, so you should still maintain a broad differential diagnosis, including other infectious, inflammatory, or malignant conditions. In fact, TB disease may be asymptomatic in patients with HIV co-infection, and in all patients in the early stages. On physical exam, inspect for cachexia, pallor, and increased work of breathing. Assess their vital signs for fever, tachypnea, and tachycardia. Palpate for cervical, supraclavicular, and axillary lymphadenopathy, which tend to be non-tender in the setting of tuberculosis lymphadenitis. The presence of spontaneously draining lymph nodes in the neck should make you suspicious for a diagnosis of scrofula, or cervical TB lymphadenitis. Auscultate the lungs for bronchial breathing or crackles. In reactivation disease, which is the majority of cases of pulmonary TB, the upper lobes are more likely to be affected than the lower lobes. Dullness to percussion and reduced or absent breath sounds at the bases may indicate a tuberculosis pleural effusion. Perform cardiac and abdominal examination in all patients 
with examination of other systems guided by clinical suspicion for extrapulmonary disease. All patients in whom active TB is suspected require a chest X-ray, and the vast majority of individuals with active pulmonary TB will have abnormalities on chest imaging. Suspicious features on chest X-ray include unilateral or bilateral upper lung zone opacities, cavitation, fibronodular scarring, nodules, pleural effusions, and hilar and mediastinal lymphadenopathy. A chest CT is not part of the routine workup, but can be helpful to further characterize chest X-ray abnormalities and exclude alternative diagnoses. Patients with any signs or symptoms suggestive of TB disease or any abnormality on chest X-ray should have sputum sent for microbiologic testing. To optimize diagnostic yield, three sputum samples should be collected in 8 to 24 hour intervals with at least one obtained in the early morning. Patients unable to produce spontaneous sputum should have sputum induced by inhalation of hypertonic saline. Bronchoscopy with bronchoalveolar lavage is generally reserved for when sputum samples are inadequate or negative despite high clinical suspicion. At a minimum, the samples should be sent for AFB smear and mycobacterial culture. AFB smear positivity indicates the presence of mycobacteria and is typically graded from 1 plus to 4 plus, depending on the number of mycobacteria seen on microscopy. This correlates with transmission risk and disease severity. However, a positive AFB smear by itself cannot differentiate between mycobacteria tuberculosis versus non-tuberculosis mycobacteria, or NTM. For this, most microbiology laboratories are able to perform nucleic acid amplification testing for rapid identification. The gold standard for diagnosis of TB disease is positive mycobacterial culture from the affected site, such as sputum or bronchoalveolar lavage for pulmonary TB, pleural fluid for pleural TB, cerebral spinal fluid for TB meningitis, lymph node aspirate for TB lymphadenitis, etc. As mentioned previously, mycobacterium tuberculosis takes around two to seven weeks for detectable growth, with drug susceptibility testing taking even longer. Molecular testing of AFB-positive samples can be undertaken to identify the genes associated with rifampin and isoniazide resistance, but phenotypic testing is still considered the gold standard for diagnosis of fully sensitive versus drug-resistant TB. Therefore, antibiotics are usually initiated empirically on the basis of a positive AFB smear or nucleic acid testing. The current Canadian TB 2022 guidelines recommend airborne isolation for all suspected or confirmed cases of pulmonary TB. Isolation may be discontinued in suspected cases once three successive AFB smears are negative unless there remains a strong clinical suspicion. Note that contact precautions are not required. For confirmed AFB smear negative pulmonary TB, isolation may be discontinued following two weeks of effective therapy and clinical evidence of improvement. For those with AFB smear positive pulmonary disease, isolation may be discontinued following three consecutive negative sputum smears and two weeks of effective therapy. For those patients with persistent sputum smear positive disease, 
removal of airborne precautions can be considered after four weeks of antibiotic therapy. However, the removal of airborne precautions ultimately remains the responsibility of infection prevention and control in healthcare institutes and public health for outpatients in Canada, so these organizations should be consulted. Note also that these recommendations do not include rifampin-resistant TB, which are specialized cases that frequently require much longer respiratory isolation. We will only be addressing the treatment of fully sensitive disease as treatment of resistant TB requires expert consultation. The minimum duration of therapy is six months, which should be extended to nine months for cavitary disease, persistent positive smear or culture at two months, or HIV positivity, and may be extended to 12 months for CNS, miliary, bone, or joint TB. Therapy is given in two phases, the intensive phase and the continuation phase. The intensive phase lasts two months and starts with a daily four-drug regimen of rifampin, isoniazide, pyrazinamide, and ethambutol, often referred to as RIPE therapy. Ethambutol can be discontinued as soon as sensitivities show fully sensitive disease, while rifampin, isoniazide, and pyrazinamide are continued for two months. The intensive phase achieves rapid reduction in the bacillary load to improve the patient's clinical condition reduce transmission risk, and prevent drug resistance. Following the intensive phase, a minimum of two drugs are continued as part of the continuation phase, which lasts at least four months, but may need to be extended depending on the case, as mentioned earlier. For fully sensitive disease with negative smear or culture at two months, the continuation phase is four months of rifampin and isoniazide. The goal of the continuation phase is to kill the remaining bacilli in the body. Guidelines recommend directly observed therapy, where a healthcare worker watches the patient take every dose of the medication. In Canada, directly observed therapy is mostly done by public health. All patients should have a baseline CBC, creatinine, liver enzymes, and liver function tests. Baseline visual acuity and color testing should be done prior to the initiation of ethambutol. It is important to rule out concomitant HIV, hepatitis B, and hepatitis C infection, as this often affects management and drug tolerance. Common adverse effects of RIPE therapy to counsel patients about and monitor include hepatotoxicity, peripheral neuropathy, rash, and ocular toxicity. Therefore, patients should have monthly follow-up with liver function tests and liver enzymes. Patients should be counseled to avoid drinking alcohol while on treatment, as it will increase risk of hepatotoxicity. Pyridoxine is also routinely prescribed to mitigate isoniazide-induced peripheral neuropathy. Patients starting treatment should have monthly or more frequent sputum AFB smear and mycobacterial culture until three negative consecutive cultures. What about the workup and treatment of latent TB infection? Recall that patients in whom you suspect TB infection should not have any signs or symptoms of TB disease. If they do, then you should instead be working them up for TB disease. Two tests are available for the diagnosis of latent TB infection. The tuberculin skin test, or TST, and the interferon gamma release assay, or IGRA. While guidelines do not necessarily endorse one over the other, they have unique advantages and disadvantages to consider. 
the TST involves intradermal injection of tuberculin and measurement of induration that appears 48 to 72 hours later. Its main advantages are that it can be relatively inexpensive and can be tested serially, meaning that following a negative test, it can be repeated later to assess for new infection. However, the TST can be falsely positive in the setting of prior BCG vaccination or exposure to NTM and requires a follow-up visit to have the test read. On the other hand, the IGRA is a one-time blood test that does not give false positives from prior BCG vaccinations or NTM exposure, but is more expensive and unreliable for serial testing. Due to the IGRA having higher specificity, it is reasonable to start with the TST as the initial test, and if positive, to perform a confirmatory IGRA for patients whose pretest probability of TB infection is low. It is important to remember that both of these tests are meant to diagnose latent TB infection and should not be ordered if you suspect active TB disease, which requires microbiologic testing to diagnose. The goal of TB infection treatment is to prevent progression to TB disease. The first-line regimen, as recommended by the 2022 Canadian TB standards, is four months of rifampin. Because rifampin and other antibiotics in the rifamycin family are the most important drugs in the management of active TB, it is imperative that you rule out active disease prior to treating a latent infection, as giving rifampin monotherapy in a patient with active TB may induce rifamycin resistance, making subsequent treatment of active disease much more complicated. Alternative therapy for latent TB infection is nine months of isoniazide. Time for our Medicine Minute, a 2021 landmark randomized controlled trial published in the New England Journal of Medicine evaluated a novel four-month regimen compared to the standard six-month RIPE regimen for drug susceptibility pulmonary TB. The shorter regimen consisted of an intensive phase of two months of using rifapentin, moxifloxacin, isoniazide, and perazinamide, followed by continuation phase of two months using rifapentin, moxifloxacin, and isoniazide. The novel regimen was found to be non-inferior to the standard six-month RIPE regimen for the primary outcome of survival-free tuberculosis at 12 months, as well as adverse drug events. This was the first positive trial of a shorter treatment regimen for drug-susceptible TB disease in nearly 40 years and led the CDC in 2022 to recommend the four-month regimen as an alternative first-line option. However, the Canadian 2022 TB guidelines have not made this recommendation, and rifapentin currently requires special access in Canada. Therefore, the standard of care in Canada for pulmonary TB remains six months of RIPE. Thank you for listening to today's episode entitled Conquering Consumption, an Approach to Tuberculosis. This episode was written by Dr. Kevin Zhang, internal medicine resident, and reviewed by Dr. Jane Batt, respirology, and Dr. Kevin Venus, general internal medicine. The internet work was created by Alison Lai and co-developed by Zara Morali and Leah Karanopoulos. This episode was recorded and produced by Zara Morali. Music by Laxman's Vantha Mohan. Please see our website, theinternetwork.com, for an associated tuberculosis infographic. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope to see you again soon.